Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back to the pod. For those of you who may have taken a break over the summer, this is the Inclusive Education Project podcast. I feel like we haven't introduced that in a while, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Because the intro already has it. That's you true, but if people intro? skip through the intro, okay, you never okay. know. That's true, that's true. <laughs> Hopefully you've survived the first couple weeks back in school, you're not drowning too much, you know, make sure to take a break and, you know, recharge if you need to over the weekends. I know that IEPs and homework and, you know, coordinating schedules, especially if you have multiple kids, it can be a lot. So just make sure to take time for yourself. So we are back. We wanted to give you a little bit of a reminder. We do have, in a couple of weeks, our big event, October 24th, the Building Bridges Between Literacy and the Consequences of Falling Behind. Uh, just remember that general admission early bird tickets are on sale for $25 only until October 1st. So you only have a little bit more time to do that. Otherwise, they are $40 at the door. You can go to inclusiveeducationproject.org slash event to get more information. We're also promoting it on Facebook and social media. So you'll be able to find links pretty easily on how to buy tickets. But it's shaping up to be a really cool event. We've got some yummy foods, great drinks, and obviously a great venue. It'll be perfect weather, hopefully, for right by the beach. Yeah, well do kind of like a spotlight. And that's what our social media is doing on each of the panelists like we did last year. But something that Amanda had kind of touched on at the very beginning, you being into the new school year these last couple of weeks, we actually had a really great guest. This is probably one of the first like legit offers. And I only say legit to say that this like that's her profession. Like I'm sure we've had guests that have written books that but are like speech and language yeah. pathologists mm-hmm. or whatnot. But Carolyn McGuire has written a book that drops today, the day that you are listening to the podcast, hopefully, or the day that this podcast actually drops on Tuesdays. Why will no one play with me? They were so kind to give us a digital preview. And I think that one of the things that really one of the themes of the book is just, you know, how do you teach your kids? You just think that these are things they learn in the sandbox or, you know, that it just happens. And we really need to teach our children about themselves, about how to interact with other people. And I mean, it's not just all monkey see, monkey do. It's Mm -hmm. part of that. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, it just talks a lot about how not only is it not inherent, but especially for kiddos, you know, within our special populations that we deal with, a lot that goes into their day-to-day takes away from sometimes the play. And so we really need to be a little bit extra careful with making sure that they do develop these skills appropriately, but really just focusing on play. And it's something that I think we often um, miss with school because we're looking so much at reading, writing, and arithmetic. So Great episode today, and we hope you enjoy. Yeah, go pick up a copy of Why Will No One Play With Me by Carolyn McGuire and enjoy this episode. So we are really excited with our guests. I know that you guys heard our little intro, and we'll be hearing this in September. We have Carolyn McGuire. Carolyn, please say hi to everybody. Hello, I'm so (laughs) glad to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. So first off, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
So I am an ADHD coach, and I live in Massachusetts. I have two beautiful children, neither of whom are neurotypical. And I started this journey a long, long time ago. I, When I was in sixth grade, I was diagnosed with ADHD and sort of a bunch of learning disabilities. And at the time, they told my parents, don't worry about the ADHD. Just, you know, remediate the learning disabilities. Get her some help. And I'm dyslexic. And so I worked really, really hard. And I had a lot of social struggles. So when I got older and I got into this profession and I was becoming an ADHD coach and I saw kids' social struggles, you know, I really related. I was one of those kids, you know, and I say this in the book, so it's not a secret. All of the world will know soon. (laughs) You know, I was one of those kids who, you know, I was just like an old soul. I was like a little old person in a young person's body, (laughs) you know, and I just didn't relate to other kids. And I'm an only child. And I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. So like, I was the only sixth grader reading like the longest day and like, (laughs) you know, mapping out the Normandy invasion with my grandfather. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So funny, right. And I mean, that just is such a different perspective, right? And you being a person that can really identify so many different things that parents sometimes forget. You know, if we can see that. When we have kiddos that have ADHD or on the spectrum, you know, sometimes the focus is all about academics, academics, but it's like, where's that social emotional piece? And so for you to be able to kind of identify identify that right away is great. And to be able to, I'm sure you kind of had to think of coping strategies on your own growing up. I can't imagine there was somebody there telling you how to kind of cope with your attentional difficulties. No, it's really funny. One of the reasons I got into ADHD coaching was that my mom used to bring me to people. And when she'd bring me to people, the therapist or whoever would be like, she can do the academics. Like, she's okay this way. They knew my anxiety was really bad as things went on, but, you know, they really didn't do what my mom wanted. My mom would be like, her room could be condemned. Like, (laughs) why did it help her with that? And they really didn't know how, you know. I just remember my mom, like, bringing me to all these people all over Boston, and they kind of looked at her like she was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and (laughs) she was just trying to get me what, you know, she knew I was really bright, and she saw this, you know, very typical that we know now for learning disability kids where, you know, I got A's in some subjects and like C's in others. And right. she was sort of baffled too, like, why is there this dichotomy? And right. so, yeah, I definitely learned a lot of coping techniques, some of which I still use to this day. To this day, I run on the treadmill, listen to Rocky, the one with the Russian. Yes, uh-huh. yes. And, and that gets my dopamine pumping and then I'm able to write. And I started wow. that in like middle school. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine like all the kids? I mean, I remember growing up, my brother has not been diagnosed with anything, but he always had a trouble with some attention growing up. And like, whenever we had problems with him and he was too hyperactive, we would say we'd be on like road trips with my grandparents in an RV. We'd say, Alex, go run around the motorhome 20 times. And it worked. Like so crazy how something so simple has such a big role and why it's not considered enough I think as like let's think about the simple solutions yeah no definitely I mean a lot of the things that I learned even as a kid socially like when I got to seventh grade I was really really unhappy and I was so done with being left out and a teacher said to me like you have to adapt they're not going to adapt to you and I started like 
studying like okay what do kids talk about what do they do and so that's also how I'm able to relate to these kids because I was an only child living with adults who watched 60 Minutes on Sunday night. Like, I had no ability to relate to my peers, and I figured it out. And luckily, also had a really wonderful school environment where they kind of, you know, I was an actress, I was in all this stuff, and they really supported me. So, yeah, definitely. All these simple things sometimes are the best things. Yeah, so many things that seem like, oh, well, it's not academic, and we get this in IEPs all the time. It's like, well... You know, we can't really force a kid to be in this or that. And it's like having opportunities like theater, like plays are so social, but it is a learning environment. I don't think people realize how much like, you know, we think about being on in a sports team or, you know, yeah, participating in a play or being in an orchestra. These are all social and learning environments at the same time. And I think it's a way for us to kind of help facilitate that growth. And, you know, unfortunately, that's one of those things where we have so many schools that are cutting arts programs and music programs, putting their money elsewhere, but they don't realize how much of an impact it can have on these kids. Absolutely. I mean, I think you have to have something every day in your life, especially when other things are hard, that make you feel special, make you feel happy, give you joy. You know, I always say to parents, for the kids that I see, even the kids that I see have no diagnosis, because now that I'm sort of more national, I have a lot of kids I'm working with right now who are just introverted, you know, or shy. Okay, yeah. School's hard for them, though. School is not like this easy place. So, when they get home, they need something that gives them joy. And, you know, I think that the arts and creativity and, you know, for some kids sports, it's like what they live for is why they get up out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about it all the time, just this one size fits all approach and just in the United States, but, you know, in California, it just doesn't work the way that we learn, you know, an arithmetic, right, is just so outdated. And it does not help a lot of children and they start to struggle. And then you see that social emotional component really take a plunge. They don't want to go to school. They're having behaviors. They're not getting on the bus. And, you know, mental health is such a big component of special education that is still in the shadows, really. I mean, you know, they'll diagnose or not diagnosed, but they will qualify for eligibility. And it's just like, okay, they're going to be seeking like 20 minutes of counseling with the school psychologist, but the school psychologist has no experience with those, you know, coping strategies or that what you could do for ADHD, like, you know, getting the dopamine going, like that's such a great and easy thing that I don't think any school psychologist would recommend to a child. No, and you get into these vicious cycles where, you know, once the social emotional, like they don't feel comfortable in their own skin, they don't feel comfortable at school, they don't feel comfortable speaking in front of the class or doing a group project with a peer all of a sudden it becomes academic. It becomes an academic problem. But then the schools are very quick to say, well, they can do it mm-hmm. if they would just apply themselves mm-hmm. or they would not be lazy or if they would just show up if they would, if they would, right? And it's like, no, it's not if they would, it's if they could. Mm-hmm. And it's right. like changing that perspective. Yeah. You know, a mother once, when I was doing testimonials and stuff about a year ago, a mother said to me, you know what you say that's the most powerful thing? And I was like, I have no idea, right? And I was like, <laughs> always say they would if they could. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, you know, my plea to parents about the social is that social affects your happiness so much. I meet so many adults who tell me that they're staying in a job, staying where they are because they don't have the social skills or they've gone up for so many jobs before and they don't get them. 
And so my plea to parents is if your gut is that something is going on or you're watching and your kid especially can't make new friends, you know, it's a skill. Studies show kids have four to five friends. So if your kid has one or two friends and they can't go into a new environment and they can't make new friends and they can't adapt to a group, that is a sign Trust your gut. You know, if you feel like you need to do something, that's why I wrote Why Will No One Play With Me because I wanted to give parents a resource that was super user-friendly and that they could have and that might even lead them to other practitioners but that they could also do on their own because so many parents tell me, you know, I worried when he was 5 and 10 and 15 and I asked the teacher and the teacher said, oh, some kids just have one friend. But the fact is our goal in life for social is that you're happy, well-adjusted in your own skin and that you can actually go out and do the things you need to do to have choices, which might mean speaking in a meeting or it might mean self-advocating with a teacher. You know, all those are social skills, being able to walk in and say to a teacher, you know, hey, you correct this and that's actually the answer. So I'm wondering if you can adjust my score. Right. Right. No, absolutely. And I mean, like when the teacher says, oh, well, some kids only have one friend. Well, some kids only need a few good friends and they're happy and comfortable. Some people need a lot of, you know, we always say you either have like a few like really good friends or some people have like a lot of like casual friends and everybody's different just like in every area, you know, of need. Right. And with friends, it's the same way. Like I have friends that have a few close friends and that's all they really need and others where they want diversity right and so to say that oh anything is all kids I mean that's just a statement that nobody should ever use but even going to I would say for parents like I hear this in IP means all the time teachers will say well he's got a few friends or an assessment report will come out and say has a couple friends and the parent goes tell me who they are because they have no friends when I ask them who their friends are they say I have no friends because they see someone talking to that child Mm -hmm. and they assume so like it goes back to the definition of what does it mean to have a friend what does it mean to be in a friendship I think we need to really be defining that because we're using the word friend when it's probably not appropriate to use that term and that clouds whether or not the need is there absolutely there's a tool in the book called the flavors of friendship and what it is about is it's a really easy way also to have these hard conversations because I hear two things from parents one the you know tell me who their friends are they don't have any friends and the other is the kids who think that they have a lot of friends but they're really just acquaintances or people you say hello to and so the flavors of friendship really literally goes through and asks you you know tells you what are the, the sort of different types of friends and then how do you define that as, you know, a friend or an acquaintance or a person you say hey to? And then it asks them to sort of create a sociogram, show us who's who. And it gives parents simple questions they can ask. So you're not telling them you're delusional. This person isn't really your friend. You're just asking questions. Right. Like they become the best version of themselves, right. you know. But what I see a lot, like you said, is not just the schools, everyone's sort of not talking about this. 
And I think you really hit it on the head where it's like, you know, you might be introvert and you only want one good friend, you know, but you have that choice. You have the skill set to make more friends, but you choose to have one or two friends. And I think that that's oftentimes lost when we're in the school districts and we're asking, you know, different questions about the social emotional aspect. A lot of times the focus is just on academics and people tend to forget that the individualized education programs still need to focus on the social emotional aspect and vocational aspect of children and I think that the flavors of friendship, like you put it, that's a good way of teaching that because I think sometimes parents tend to forget how hard it is to make friends when you're a kid, right? You know, it could be very easy. It could be in the sandbox, right? But you haven't had to make a friend like that since you were three. Now, you know, we have this skill set. We know what we're looking for in other people. And sometimes, you know, friendship happens at work. And so then that's, you know, you're in close quarters and things like that. But I think you in this book are able to kind of give parents those tools in an easy digestible format so that they can relate to their kids and teach their kids, right? We got to keep teaching our kids, but when they're 10, you're thinking, well, they should already know how, but that's not the case. Oh, yeah. So many things are not inherent, especially with our kiddos, you know, with learning challenges. Like for adults, sometimes it's not easy to make friends. Like if you think about your friend group and the most of the people that you're friends with, a lot of it is either from work or from school, right? You're put into an environment and you find people that have common interests. And so you become friends, but you didn't really do anything necessarily to make that friend, right? Like you did in the sandbox. I mean, I think about, I've got some friends that moved from another state several years ago and they didn't know anyone, right? And I remember after I met my one friend, she told me she felt like a kid again because she had to like go to the gym and she'd be like, hi, (laughs) you know, and it was so (laughs) awkward. And I mean, she's very outgoing, so it was easy for her to do. But I think about me, like I consider myself pretty outgoing, but I also like don't think I would do that. I think it would be more difficult. But I, so I think the idea of putting it out there that we all need to be start talking about this more, the concept of, you know, friendship is important because I think, you know, we always talk a lot about difficulties with bullying. And I think that they kind of go hand in hand in the sense that the more people are comfortable with themselves in their lives, they're less likely to one, be a victim of bullying and two, be a bully in the first place. Because a lot of times, some of this stuff happens out of people not being happy, right? And not being comfortable Mm -hmm. with who they are. And so they're either projecting onto someone else, or if you don't have that support system, you know, it's very hard for you to react appropriately and do something, you know, be in a position. It's easy to pick on the kid in the corner reading the book, right? Because there's no one around to, you know, back them up in a fight, right? Right. Well, and I think, you know what, I think obviously we have to make kids safe. We have to talk about bullying. We have to talk about all this. And as a person who was bullied, like I completely relate to that. But what kind of makes me upset is that the discussion is always about the bullying and what do you do when the kid is bullied. Kids don't get bullied who have friends and have appropriate friendships. Someone eventually backs them up or people say stuff to them, it's unfortunate but they have a support system. Right. Whereas if, you know, studies have even shown this, I'm sure you know this, like if kids have very impulsive, alienating behaviors, they kind of annoy everyone, they are actually the most likely to be targeted. You know, the sort of 90s rom-com always shows the kid who's meek 
those yeah. kids tend to become invisible and they tell me they wish they had more attention, but they're not necessarily getting that negative attention. Whereas the kids who are very impulsive have a lot of those kind of behaviors. They're the ones who are picked on. And honestly, we don't talk about that is a social skills issue. Let's help them with that. Right. right. We really move right to, you know, I, I know we have to make them safe, but we really move right to how we can just protect them and encase them without really addressing, like, why is this happening? You know? What- yeah. And when you really get down to the nitty gritty of, like, what the law actually says, it's all reactive. I mean, there's a little bit of it, like, you should basically try to prevent it, but what's being required and what schools are actually putting forth are all reactive. It's all, if you say something, say something. It's not, how can we build better relationships within between peers so that it never even becomes an option or a, a thought that we should, one kid is going to bully another. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of people have asked me lately, you know, we have circle programs, we have kindness programs, and a headmaster recently said to me, I have bought all these programs, and none of them really solve the problem. And I said, that's because you remember when you were, you know, in an office, and there's one person who doesn't get their paperwork in, and the boss comes in, and he says, gee, guys, you got to get your paperwork in. And you're sitting there thinking, why are you telling all of us? Tell him. He's the one who doesn't get his paperwork in. I said, when you do those kind of broad scale programs, they're wonderful for the kid who reads social cues and who has self-awareness and who realizes this message is for you. They have to realize a lot of kids need that direct intervention. They need that direct talk. And we kind of have these conversations and they kind of go nowhere. And that's the other reason I wrote the book was because I felt like so many times parents were spending, oh my God, their entire week every night having conversations with their kids about all this social stuff. And it was so draining. And they have such good hearts. They're doing the best they can. But because they don't know what professionals know, it's going nowhere. It's just like having conversations. It's like the teacher in the Charlie Brown cartoon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just going nowhere. Yeah. And it's not their fault. Right. Many of the people I now train in my coach training program were parents who got so expert that they finally became professionals. Wow. You should not have to get a PhD to right. help your kid make friends. Right. That's no, ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, you right. think about it, like we all went through it, right? And to varying degrees, whether we had a good experience or a bad experience with friends, whether it was easy to make friends or easy to keep friends, everyone has their own experiences. And, and usually as adults, we've learned from them or we figured out like, oh, maybe if I had done this or that, but like, Yeah, I mean, it's just more difficult to teach because we're not given, just like, you know, when you have a baby, you're not given a handbook on anything. So, of course, you know, and I I think it's just become more difficult because I think some of the things that are done, whether it's social media or the media or movies or the way the schools are putting out policies, sometimes counteracts it and makes it more difficult, I think, for these simple fixes to be put in place. I think one of the things I would say, too, is that You know, a lot of times I meet grandmas who tell me that their child struggled socially, but there wasn't any help. They didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so I also think, like, even if we take social media out of it, even if we take video games out of it, a lot of these kids who 
we see struggling with social media, video games, whatever later, they struggled when they were four years old. It's just the struggle was masked a little bit because mom and dad arrange your play dates and they arrange a lot of your socialization. But as you get older and you have to arrange it yourself, now it becomes more acute because you don't arrange it or you can't because no one will play with you. And so it becomes more obvious. I just really hope parents will read why will no one play with me and will not only use the tools, but see that this is something that can get better. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's a good length. It's, you know, you're not reading War and Peace, right? And I think because (laughs) it's applicable, you're able to kind of use it right away, you know, even just from the first couple of sentences. It's just something that kind of puts your mind into a different spot. And, you know, it's just so hard, you know, people don't want to mess their kids up. They just want, you know, information and there's just too much information out there sometimes. And I think that you offer just not only your personal, but also your professional take on things, right? You know, and being that ADHD coach and just having that experience of itself, with, of course, your professional titles, I think this is why being able to read this book will matter and will get you to not necessarily just get results, but just open the door to that conversation with your child so that, you know, you can just monitor it and make sure that you're giving them all the tools that they will need to be happy and healthy, like you said. Well, what I like about your book is it's There's a lot of, like, books out there that are meant to, like, help families that are very much, like, here's what you need to do. And maybe sometimes they say why, but they don't say the how. So I love that you have all the tools and that you're having this thing online as well, like, because that's the additional piece, right? You can read a book about something, but that doesn't mean that you can then apply it and generalize it. Just like we say with kids, they may one-on-one be able to engage in a reciprocal conversation about a non-preferred topic when it's with a speech therapist, but the minute they get with peers, they clam up, right? They haven't generalized (laughs) that skill. And the same goes, like, for anything you're learning new. So I love that it, like, I think it's really going to help parents be able to generalize that skill. Oh, thank you so much. That was my whole goal. It did take years off my life. It was my whole goal because, you know, I own a lot of curriculums. I own a lot of parenting books, way too many. And (laughs) I love them. But, you know, what I found as I was working with parents is that, you know, a lot of parenting books, they give you a little skit or a little example. And I love them. But the idea is that you kind of intuit what to do and they don't really tell how. Right. Yeah. And so my whole thing has always been how. Maybe it's my ADD and it's my impatience. Uh, like, I just want to get to the how. Yeah. And so my goal was that, you know, I gave parents also how to have those really hard conversations because I feel like a lot of times I read articles or I read stuff out there and the number one question I get asked when I speak all over the world is, well, what do I say to my kid? Do I Mm -hmm. tell them that they have a social problem? Do Mm -hmm. I tell them that they Mm -hmm. need to work on this? Do I not? How do I bring it up? What do I do if this kid has already had this conversation with me and it's like a verboten topic? And so there's all these scripts and tips and sort of how do you pave the way and have the conversation because, you know, in addition to the social skills tools, because that's really hard to do and you do need guidance on how and you know it's also something that's so important um, and I feel like a lot of parents feel very awkward about it and 
they're worried they'll mess it up, so they kind of don't go there. And, yeah. you know, I have had conversations and worked with kids as young as five who, like, if you have the conversation in a certain way, if you pave the way, if you explain to them that, you know, mom hires a plumber, sometimes we work on things, everyone's working on something, they understand and they're like, actually, even the most resistant kid can buy in yes. a little bit. Even a shrug is buy-in. Right. Yeah, well, right. I mean, just exactly. the idea that if you explain something to a kid... Like, what a concept, right? Explain to them why something is happening. And, like, I see sometimes a lot when we're dealing with, like, noncompliance, people are so quick to just be like, oh, they're just not complying. You're just not doing it. Like, it's just so hard. Mm -hmm. Let's just do a reinforcement system. And it's like, if you would just explain to the child, for most kids, they can understand it. If you just say, we're doing this because of X, Y, and Z, and this is how it's going to help you, I think it makes the world of the difference because – then they understand. Because, I mean, imagine if you're being told to, like, do something, but you don't understand why. It gets frustrating. Mm -hmm. So I don't blame any of these kids for, you know, noncompliance when that's the case. Like, we have to be very clear with kids because they don't intuitively know these things. Well, yeah. And, and I've actually had experiences where, you know, kids stopped going to school and they right. said they weren't going to go anymore right. and they're having a miserable time. So I like literally don't blame them. I wouldn't want to go to school there anymore either. Yeah. And, you know, we need them to do things. I mean, you're so familiar with this. And I'm not shy about having a real conversation and saying, you know, I know that you know more than the man on the moon want to write yeah. down your feelings and yeah. thoughts about school. But here's why I need you to do this, because we're trying to get you so that you can go to a different school and we have to play this game. And I'm telling you, I've never had a kid refuse. They are non-compliant, quote unquote, until you give yeah. them the reason. I can sit here and figure it out as a parent by reading all these books and trying to put a plan, but I don't have time for that, right? Like what parent does really. And so like just exactly what you had said. And sometimes, you know, parents, I get this all the time. I'm too close. I can't help him with his homework. I can't help him get to this next level because I'm mom. And so what's nice about, you know, you having a plan or you even for your services for those on the East Coast that are listening, it's so wonderful to be able to go to somebody that has those credentials and has that personal experience. Like I cannot get over that, you know, what happened to you when you were a child and the learning differences that you've overcome. I mean, it's just incredible that they're seeing like, look, I had those same struggles and like, look at me now, you know? Well, thank you. That's one reason I've persevered. I had a little boy who was dyslexic, who was reading, you know, years below and the school wasn't doing anything. And we as poor parents had to, you know, sell their souls to get him into a, a private education for dyslexics. And he turned to me and he said, if you can do this, I can do this. Ugh. And I was like, oh, the mouth's a babe. Right. You know, I think the other thing about the too close thing is, you know, if you go to carolinemaguireauthor.com, I have videos and I have different things about rebuilding your relationship with your child because to me at the end of my life I don't want to look back and think that I didn't have a great relationship with my child and we don't see each other we don't communicate well because of homework right 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 I can tell you my husband probably never did his homework and he's wildly successful and it's yeah. not that I don't know we need to do homework I spent half my life getting kids to do homework but it's that 
if maybe this book your kid won't sit down maybe they're resistant to sitting down and doing the lessons at first but if you just use the piece to communicate and have yeah. those conversations and it might take you a little longer than someone whose kid is super compliant you're doing yourself such a favor because you're now opening those doors and now you and your child have a better relationship rather than just saying, oh, my kid doesn't listen to me. You're yeah. the most knowledgeable person. You knew them when they were zero. You know how to help them. Yeah, so exactly. yeah. I think that piece is just so invaluable. And I've worked with hundreds of families where it, they did do that work. And the kid who said, I'll never eventually did do the social skills right. lessons but they had to rebuild they had to you know come together they had to like you know talk about the past fights they had to sort of reach a lot of compromise because you know we as parents need to also sometimes realize like we have to listen to what they want yeah we can't yeah. just tell them well and i think that those tips would go a long way for any parent I'm not a parent myself, but I can imagine, like, you know, I think with any relationship, problems lie with communication oftentimes. And if we can become yep. better communicators with each other, it solves a lot of the world's problems, right? So, I mean, I would bet that these strategies are going to help with any parent-child relationship because it's that idea of defining expectations and explaining things rather than just telling yeah, it's so important. I mean, if people take nothing away from today, you know, if they take only this, I really can't stress enough. One of the methods and why will no one play with me is the technique all life coaches use, which is open questions. Instead of, you know, telling someone saying like, what makes that important to you? And what I find is even with little kids, they have a reason for everything. I had a little boy the other day who was refusing to go into like sort of the equivalent of his principal's office. Okay. Asked him about it and he said to me, bad kids go in there uh, and I don't want to be a bad kid. And if I enter those doors, I become one of those kids. Right. And it was like so logically illogical, right? right. Everyone, everybody asked him. Nobody had Nobody asked had this ever, poor kid, like, ugh. why won't you go in? Oh <laughs> and he my was gosh. like, because I don't want to go become one of those kids. And so we worked out a compromise and he's tiny. I mean, he's a little tiny person, but he had a reason. It just yeah. wasn't the reason the adults maybe would have thought of, you right. know, we had to ask. Right. Yeah, exactly. You had to ask because he did have a reason. He's just not acting just to act. I wanted to mention before we wrap up here that yes, your website is so easy to use. And I noticed that you have a tab called Ask Coach Carolyn, and you've had some Facebook live question and answers. So are these just different dates that you and the video of those question and answers are up on your website? So you just kind of field questions from parents. They just kind of go to the Facebook live or they go to your Facebook and that's how you hold the live ones. But then obviously they're recorded on your website. That was yeah, if you go to carolinemaguireauthor.com, all the past videos are there. You can also submit questions. Very soon there's going to be, by the time this this is around, there'll be a page with questions and answers about the book. You know, what do I do when kind of questions. Again, the how. 
But the live video, the idea behind my Facebook Live is that so many times parents write me these like really long, impassioned emails, and it's out of their desperation pain. And so when they wanted me to do more social media, I said, well, I will do social media for good. So (laughs) I'm doing this so that parents, you know, I take all these emails, I take all these submissions, and I kind of make themes. And so like we just did one on kids who have very black and white thinking, and they're kind of the police what do you do and so I'm also like open to anything we make a theme it's the first Monday of every month and we make a theme but also you know we're going to be going into things that relate directly to the book but parents write me from all over the world so if you have something that you're just burning to know write me through the carolinemcguireauthor.com and You know, I'll even say at the beginning of my Facebook Live, this doesn't relate to our theme, but this parent wrote me this really beautiful and passionate email. So without using names, I'm going to answer this question right here, right now. And it's sort of also a way for me as a verbal processor to, like, get it all out. Yeah. (laughs) No, I love it. I love that you just... That's kind of just the way that you've been able to give back. And that has always been something that we were talking about before we were recording and something that we strive to do as well. We're so honored to have had you on the podcast. And thank you so much for sharing a copy of your book with us. We as special education attorneys are always trying to just learn different things. I mean, probably should go back to school and become like, don't have the time. But like, so instead (laughs) we steal from amazing people like you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I'm glad that you're out there because there are a lot of people who need your services. So I actually think we can take care of the other piece if you take care of the (laughs) getting the kids some services piece. Done. Deal. It's (laughs) totally fun to be on with you guys. I really love what you're doing and you're sort of, you know, not just leaving it to your one little corner. You're spreading it to the world. And I hope that more parents will think of seeking some help for advocacy because there's just so much to it. It's so complex with the schools and I'm so glad you're there because I mean we could spend our entire lives trying to figure out what you already know. Exactly. Yeah, no try. Yeah. Well so thank you so much for being on the pod and you guys if you have any questions, she's ready for business. Go under her website, Carolyn McGuire Author dot com. We will have it spelled out in the show notes for you. And Carolyn, we wish you and your book every success out there. I'm sure it's gonna help. Sure we'll have to talk to you more soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really enjoy this and I appreciate it. And I hope everybody will take something from this that helps their kids so everyone has a friend. Exactly. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.